Friends, our scripture lesson this morning is from the book of Ruth, the first chapter, the first 17 verses. Hear now God's word for us this day. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem in Judah went to live in the country of Moab, he and his wife and their two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. When they had lived there about 10 years, both Malon and Kilion also died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Then she started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she'd been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, no, we will return to you. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. It has been far more bitter for me than for you because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, see, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. There will I be buried. May the Lord do thus and so to me, and more as well, if even death parts me from you. This is the word of the Lord. And let us pray. Oh, holy God, by your grace and mercy, may these words I'm about to speak point back to your word just read. And to the word made flesh in Jesus the Christ. Speak to us, O 
heavenly God, that word of grace and truth and invitation that we each most need to hear. For we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. A guy gets stranded on an island. He's really good with his hands. He decides to make things. And so to pass the time, he decides to build a town. He builds himself a house, some shops. This guy's amazing. Finally, one day he is found and he's thrilled. He points out to his rescuers, his store, the school, and his church. One rescuer asks about another building that also looks kind of like a church. He replies, that is the church that he formerly attended, but he got disillusioned. It didn't meet his needs. And so he left. The invitation that God speaks to us today is to get good at repair. Whatever that means for us, however that might play out in where we are this very moment, that our lives might be transformed and that God's love might be embodied in us, seen in us, and extended to others through us. I've got a question for you. Raise your hand if you have a relationship in your life that is meaningful to you. If you do, raise your hand. Looks like pretty close to all of us. It's the question that Becky Kennedy opens with a recent TED talk of hers. It already has over a half a million views. She's a clinical psychologist. She focuses on the relationships that exist between parents and their children. She acknowledges the ways that all of us are imperfect in those relationships. We all have moments where we lose our patience and say something we wish we hadn't said. She's quick to add that what, that what she teaches applies just as much to any relationship. And in her teaching, she says that the one thing that can make all the difference is to get good at repair. She says repair is the act of going back to a moment of disconnection, taking responsibility for your behavior and acknowledging the impact that it had on another. She differentiates the, the distinction between a repair and an apology because when an apology often seeks to shut a conversation down, hey, I'm sorry I yelled at you, can we move forward from this? A good repair opens one up. Repair assumes there's been a rupture, so to repair you have to have first messed up or fallen short of someone else's expectations, which is something most human beings I know, myself included, often do. God created us to be in relationship with God, to be in relationship with one another. Those relationships are what make our lives what they are. 
they already give us joy and purpose and identity and moments of hardship and loss and moments of delight and celebration. They would give our lives meaning. And in those relationships that make such a difference on our human journey, we will often mess up. We will often say something or do something we wish we hadn't. And the question is, what then? Will we throw up our hands in frustration? Will we throw in the towel in exhaustion? Or will we get good at repair? We need each other, don't we? I think of that story in the Gospels where Jesus said, where two or more are gathered in my name, I am there. Interesting that he didn't say where one or more are gathered. Though, of course, we know that God is present no matter the number of people. But he was trying to make a point. He was trying to emphasize something when he said, where two or more are gathered, I'm there. I think of that verse in Ecclesiastes where it's written, a threefold cord is not easily broken. Illustrating how a, a cord or a heavy rope with just one strand will have a certain amount of strength and ability to endure, but when three are braided or woven together, it's immeasurably stronger. Passage goes on to say, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up the other, but woe to the one who falls and is alone and does not have another to help. And I think of that beautiful story in today's text, the story of the relationship between Ruth and Naomi. Naomi and her husband and two sons are fleeing from a famine from the lives they've known, the country that has been for them a home. They flee to the foreign country of Moab. It's an experience of dislocation, similar to the ones that so many others have been forced to endure over the generations and that so many are being forced to endure even now. They didn't choose to leave. They had to leave to find bread, to find safety. Her husband dies, and that culture had put Naomi in an extremely vulnerable status without a husband to protect her, to provide for her. Her two sons marry women from this new land. They provide support and protection to her. Yet 10 years later, they die. She's lost her husband. She's lost both her sons. She's in the most vulnerable and precarious place she's ever been in. She's heard that things are better in her home of Judah. The famine is over, hope has returned, and so she packs up her bags and invites her two daughters-in-law to return with her to her home, to Judah, which will be for them a foreign land. And she goes. And on the journey home, she changes her mind about her two daughters-in-law. She tells them to return to their mothers, to their own home. It is though she has now thought more about this, that she has perhaps let them down and inviting them to return with her. And a repair is needed. And there's weeping all around. One daughter goes, she returns to her mother's homeland, not Ruth, 
She clings to Naomi. She's beyond faithful to her mother-in-law, setting aside her own self-interest. She adopts Naomi's people. Where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. The Hebrew word for what's going on here is hesed. It's a kind of love that is deeper and richer than any English word for love. One theologian describes it as love in action. Love not primarily as an emotion, a feeling, but an action. You are faithful to, you fulfill your promises to, you are loyal to the one to whom you confess to love. And so many of the stories we've recently looked at in these first books of the Old Testament, God shows up in tangible ways. Not so in Ruth. There is no all-nighter wrestling match with an angel of God, no burning bush, no parting of the Red Sea. Yet God has shown his love and his faithfulness is revealed through human action, human faithfulness, human relationship. Who in your life has shown that kind of love to you? And maybe you're sitting next to them right now, or maybe you haven't spoken to them in years, but they have embodied God's love for you. They have extended God's grace to you. All of the studies from Harvard Medical School and everyone else regarding the importance of social connection and human relationships are in agreement. There's likely no one factor that has greater impact in a fulfilled and purposeful and happy life or in living a long life. There are other factors, some of which are outside of our control, but the way we choose to love one another and seek one another out when we have done something to harm or to rupture a relationship is within our control. God has ultimate love, fierce and determined love, which is why God is able to stick with us even when we don't stick with God. By God's grace, may our lives more fully, more consistently reflect that ultimate love. A British Army veteran who fought and survived one of his country's hardest battles known as the Burma Campaign against the Japanese during World War II, traveled to Japan to lay flowers at the tomb of the unknown soldiers at a memorial ceremony on Monday to stress the importance of reconciliation. Richard Day, 97 years old, who survived the decisive 1944 battle where Japan fought to capture the then British-controlled territory, stood up from a wheelchair, placed a wreath of red flowers on a table, and saluted the souls of the unknown Japanese soldiers at Tokyo's 
Memorial Cemetery. He said, it was incredibly moving, but it brought back some terrible memories. I was remembering the screams of people crying out for their mothers. He later spoke with the relatives of the Japanese veterans who also attended the event. He said, you can't carry hate. Otherwise, you are not hating each other. You are hurting yourself. A 97-year-old Army veteran, God bless him, still striving to get good at repair. There are no words to adequately describe the horrific loss of life and terror that has unfolded in Israel and Palestine during this past week. Thousands dead, 300,000 plus people without a home, an uncertain number held captive, the UN warning that the forced relocation of over a million civilians will have devastating humanitarian consequences a region that has been marked by conflict and violence and hatred for generations. And the savior that we believe in and follow and serve was born and lived and taught and healed and cast out demons and went fishing in the Galilee in that region. And amidst all the other places in our world marked by war and violence, hatred and loss of life, our hearts break. We pray for peace. And sometimes our prayers bring us comfort. And other times they simply feel like not enough. Like nowhere near enough. How might our lives reflect the kind of love that God has for God's children? A love described in Hebrew as hesed. The kind of love that is deeper and richer than any English word for love. Uh, love translated as love in action. Love not primarily as an emotion, but in action. You are faithful to, you fulfill your promises to, you are loyal to the one whom you confess to love. Love that implores us, that calls us in our lives, in our circles of influence to not only pray, to not only repent when we harm another or sin against another, but to get good at repair. And I wonder what it might look like for leaders, leaders in all sorts of different leadership settings to get good at repair. For anyone can build a wall. Anyone can encourage a culture of us versus them. Anyone can use their power to take instead of to give. Friends, God created us to be in relationship with God and with each other. Those relationships are what make our lives what they are. They are what give us joy and purpose and identity in moments of hardship and loss and terror, in moments of delight and celebration, they are what give our lives meaning. And in those relationships that make such a difference in our human journey, we often mess up. 
We will often say something or do something that we wish we hadn't. What then? Will we throw up our hands in frustration? Will we throw in the towel in exhaustion? Or will we get good at repair?